You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, lovely people. So, our offering liturgy. Let's say it together. You, you, you can, don't, don't put it on the screen. Let's see if we can say it together. Our offering liturgy, all right? You are Yahweh Yaira, the God who provides. In truth, we have nothing but you, nothing that we might call our own. So let that good confession compel a better stewardship, open hands, a joyful heart, and a generous life. You are Yahweh Yaira. That's the beginning. Yahweh Yaira means what? God who provides. Now, in the Hebrew, the word that is translated provides is rara, rara, and it has a little in it, but that sounds kind of gross, but it's raha, right? And it means, it can translate literally the God who sees. And it's within a context of the God who sees and considers. So it's not just a God who sees, it's a God who sees and considers. And because God loves when God sees and considers the needs of God's people, what does God do? Provide. It's also a very similar word to the word of shepherd. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, right? And so when you hear Yahweh Yaira, it is only possible that God provides because God sees. There is never a moment God's not going to see you. There is never a moment that God's not going to consider your needs. Now the problem is when God doesn't see our wants. When God doesn't see and consider our wants and provide for our wants. When, especially, what we want, we think we what? Need. And so, then, when God doesn't see what we want, therefore think we need, and then God doesn't provide, then all of a sudden, God is no longer the God who sees. God is the God who ignores or doesn't care. Now, this isn't a new struggle for the people of Yahweh in the scriptures. There have been many a times in their history where they have wondered if God really saw them, if God really considered them, if God really was going to provide for their needs. And there were time after time again where they made decisions to rebel against God. They made decisions to disregard, disregard Torah living living according to the commands and the purposes of God. There were times when they wanted earthly kings rather than Yahweh as king, and that started a whole mess of trouble for them. There were times when they were led by their wants, mistake them for their needs, and then ask God to basically fill those needs as if God was a gumball machine. And then there were times where their lives were scattered, bruised, broken, where the temple is destroyed, where they are exiled and not in a land that is called their own. And I am sure when you read the scriptures, they are questioning where God is in the midst of all of this. But then there have been time and time again that for every time they wondered if God saw them, if God would provide for them. There have been time and time again where the other side of that story is that God did see them and God did provide for them. There was never a time where God did not see and consider and provide for God's people. The problem is sometimes it took years, generations even. And when we read our scriptures, we forget that it sometimes takes years, generations even, 
But God always provided for God's people. And in the midst of even in the midst of their exile and their loss, even in the midst of their rebellion, even in the midst of their sin, and even in the midst of their injustice, God still provided for them. Even in the midst of all of that. And so we get to this place in Isaiah 61. We started this the week before Easter. And we got to this place and we said we would come back to it. And then this would carry us through the rest of this series as we start getting very practical and concrete in our own individual lives and in the life of this community of faith we call Williamsburg Christian Church. And the day begins today that we start getting deeply into Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is a rich context because Isaiah 61 is a part of Isaiah that's considered the third book of Isaiah. It's a part of Isaiah where now we find that the people of God have now moved out of exile. In other words, they are now home. But the problem with being home is that it doesn't look like home. And the temple had been destroyed, the walls had been destroyed, but now they're home. And right now when they receive Isaiah 61, they're somewhere in between the temple being rebuilt and the Torah community being rebuilt. Does that make sense to you? So think Ezra and Nehemiah who restores the wall and the, and the scripture, the life of Torah. They're in that season. And then think of Haggai uh, and Zechariah where they're living in the point of the rebuilding of the temple. They're now seeing a life once scattered, a life once broken, a life once bruised. They're seeing it now come together. Home is starting to feel like home because the temple is starting to be rebuilt. The walls are being rebuilt, and the scripture is being brought forth to the center of the community once again. And they have a chance for renewal. And that's the context. And so the priests gather, we talked about this, the priests gather, and it's understood quite possibly that the priests wrote this text in the spirit of Isaiah. Did you know that Isaiah is the most quoted Hebrew scripture book in the New Testament? Did you know that scholars sometimes consider Isaiah the fifth gospel? Isaiah is rich. And he leads us right to Jesus back and front and there again. And that's why it just makes sense that we see Isaiah. Isaiah 61. We talked about this at some length. And we're not going to talk about it too much today because we've talked about it before. If you missed it. Then we'll send out a link this week so you can catch it the first time we talked about this. But the idea of Jubilee, that Jubilee was going to be this 50th year where Yahweh levels the playing field, levels the ground, where all things are returned back to their original ancestors, their original owners. And what was the purpose of Jubilee? Anybody remember? To reset society. It was a social reset. It was an economic reset. Everybody say economic reset. It was an economic reset. It was a social reset. That's exactly what it was. It was to keep a permanent underclass from taking shape. Yahweh never wanted a permanent underclass. We're content with that, but Yahweh wasn't content with that. And we know that in record, we're not really sure that Israel ever did this, but it doesn't change the fact that these priests, that in this moment, where the life of Israel is coming back together, where the life of Yahweh's people is coming back together with a rebuilt temple, rebuilt walls, and a recentered Torah, that now the priests are crying out the possibilities of a reset, of a social hope that is now new and that is good and that is beautiful. And it becomes a kind of radical reversal. Everybody say radical reversal. 
because y'all got to wake up this morning. Say radical reversal one more time. All right, we need to radically reverse our sleepiness and get with this text. Radical reversal, Isaiah 61. Human flourishing is now possible. Here we go. The joy of shalom is now possible. And so Isaiah 61, the writer writes and the speaker speaks. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the prisoners, liberation for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the reference to Jubilee. What do you hear in this text? Liberation. Liberation. A set free. A renewal. A new hope. A social reset. An internal reset. A new disposition. The possibilities of a new attitude. Of a new belief. And this text sounds familiar, doesn't it? Who preached this text in his ministry? Begins with a J, ends with an S. There we go. Just got to help y'all out because I'm trying to help you out a little bit this morning. Yeah, Jesus preached this in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus, Jesus is the me in the text. And then Jesus says something to them in Luke 4 that makes the text come to life. That inspires the text and breathes new life into our lives. When Jesus, at the end of this sermon, says, today the scripture what? Has been fulfilled. Not not will be fulfilled, but has what? Been fulfilled. You are living in the midst of this. Here's my question. Do you believe it? That's my question for us. Do we believe that we're living in the midst of liberation? Or are we overwhelmed by the oppressive captivity of sin, the oppressive captivity of a world under the reign of sin and death? Are we so overwhelmed by that that we no longer believe that liberation is happening? So Jesus offers a new vision for a new social hope, a new social power, which is going to work in tangible and concrete ways in society by all who confess God as king, that all who live in the reign of God, that Jesus will make known to all to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's keep going with the text in verse 2. And a day of vindication. For our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide Zion's mornings, mourners, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of discouragement. Do you see the radical reversal in the word instead? Do you think Yahweh wants them to know in the trifold purposes of the word instead that God is always wanting to do it instead in our lives? But we are too stuck on the words before the instead to believe that the words after the instead is possible. They will be oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord to glorify himself. See, God's people have just returned to their home. And yes, it may still be in ruins. And they feel like it's in ruins because it has been a long season. And I know that for some of us, it's been a long season. 
But Isaiah's words tell them that a radical reversal is on the way. And it's the three insteads of the text. The insteads become a radical reversal that is to become a profound hope for those who are experiencing discouragement, for those who feel destroyed, degraded, and devastated. He says a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of discouraging. And this is an invitation. Everybody say invitation. It's an invitation to each member of this community to open up to a transformation of attitude, a transformation of condition, to believe that a transformation is made possible by the Spirit of the Lord at work in this announcement that Yahweh is in the business of rebuilding, repairing, and restoring. And that's what the whole text is about. And they can't deny it because they look over here. What do they see being rebuilt? The temple. They look around. What do they see being rebuilt? The walls. They look around and they see the priests gathering around the the scripture, the Torah. And they're experiencing a renewal of Torah. A renewal of Yahweh's covenantal faithfulness. That when Yahweh makes a promise, Yahweh keeps it. Now everything about their lives up to this point has told them it's not possible. And even still, they have enough history that they could be so pessimistic that they look around and just, well, the temple's going to get destroyed again. Because you know the story of Nehemiah. Every time they were building the wall, what does Nehemiah said they had to do? They had a, a tool in one hand and what else? A weapon in the next. You remember that in Nehemiah? That as they're rebuilding the wall, they have the haters. They have the enemy makers. They have those who are trying to tell them it's not possible. They have those who are trying to tell them it's not going to happen. They have those who are actually trying to make it not happen. And so it would be real easy for the people of Yahweh to just say, oh, you know, it's just going to happen again. See, that's where the word instead comes. Yahweh's always looking to do something instead. That's why Jesus said, this has all happened. This has been fulfilled. A radical reversal is taking shape. And Yahweh's people just had to decide if they believed it. They had to decide. If they believe that those who are tired and worn out could find new energy. You tired and worn out? New energy is possible. They had to decide if they believe that those whose nights are filled with sorrow could find joy in the morning. They had to believe that those whose bodies have been bruised and souls wearied by oppressive power could find liberation and life-giving purpose. They had to believe whether or not those whose lives have been paralyzed and marginalized by loss could find a new motivation in this announcement that Yahweh will rebuild their lives. Have you seen Yahweh ever do any rebuilding in your life? The hearers of this text, they could imagine this to be possible because they could look over history, the history of their story and time and again see. They could remember when Yahweh did the impossible and brought death from life. They know their community story. They know, listen, they know the story of their faith. Do we know the story of our faith? Because all the alternative stories of society are trying to overtake the story of our faith. 
all the alternative stories of our past are trying to take over the story of our faith that could reshape our present based upon a promised new future. If Christ is, as that song sung, as Paul said in Corinthians, if Christ is the yes and amen to the promises of God, then why do we submit to the no's so quickly? Yahweh has made promises. And we all, in some way, have seen some form of a new brick laid in our lives where Yahweh is rebuilding something. Some of us, we're just clearing the ground. Some of us are just excavating the yard, just getting it ready. I realize that. Some of us have seen the foundation laid, and it looks like nothing else has been built for years. But Yahweh is building something. That's the promise of the text, and that's the promise of Jesus. Are y'all with me? Because I know Robin and Tanya with me. <laughs> See? They know their community story. They know Yahweh Yaira, the Lord who provides. From the crossing of the Red Sea to Yahweh's provision in the wilderness. They know the individual stories of their faith. They see Abraham setting out from his home to a place he didn't know but would eventually call his home. They can remember Hagar, a single mother, an Egyptian slave, running from an abusive home and waiting for the baby to die, becoming the first person in Scripture to name God as El Roy, meaning the God who sees me. They knew and could remember Jacob being tricked to marry Leah and waiting 14 years to marry Rachel, but he finally did. They remember Deborah, the charismatic leader, becoming the first female judge and the only prophet of her time who stepped up in a world run by men to deliver God's people from the enemy. Come on now. They can remember Samuel, the, long, the young boy turned prophet and kingmaker. They can remember King David, the excluded, marginalized young shepherd boy who would become the king and shepherd of a nation. They could remember these individual stories and how these individual stories change the communal story of the people of God. Do you believe that God is working out an individual story in your life? Do you believe that the individual story that God is working out in your life, in your ministry, in your vocation, in your finances, in your possessions, in your character, in your competencies, in your capacity, that it could work out to the good and the glory of God and even the good and your neighbors? Do you believe it? They can remember so many stories and open themselves up to believe that this announcement that Isaiah is making is more like a promise. That Yahweh will give them a crown instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of discouragement, because Yahweh always has. They remember how even when their own rebellion and disregard of Yahweh's love and reign and tore away of life put them in a terrible way, that Yahweh still didn't abandon them. They remember that Yahweh may not have liberated them when they wanted or how they wanted, but Yahweh always liberates. And right now as they hear this text, the temple being rebuilt, the Torah way of life being restored, they see that a radical reversal is always possible when Yahweh is Lord and King. Everybody say radical reversal. And it has the power to not only transform the lives of individuals, but the community of God's people and the society in which they find themselves. Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew this to be true. You remember her song? Remember what she sang when she 
found that she was carrying God. She said in Luke 1, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Remember how she went on to write her song and said, He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry has been filled with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Do you hear a radical reversal taking place? Do you remember the ministry of Jesus? How it was the rich and the politically powerful who wanted to kill him as an enemy of the state, but it was the marginalized and excluded who found a home with him? Do you see how Mary's song lives itself out in the ministry of Jesus? Did you know that the gospel was always born on the margins, though? From Moses to David? These no-name little bitty people who end up having a big part of the story of God in the world Mary knew it it's also why Jesus would preach things like this he would say blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God is what blessed are you who are now hungry for you will be satisfied blessed are you who are now weeping for you will laugh or rejoice blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil on account of the son of man rejoice and leap for joy on that day look your reward will be great in heaven you remember that remember how jesus followed up with that immediately when he said but how terrible for you who are rich because you have already received your comfort how terrible for you who have plenty now because you will be hungry how terrible for you who laugh now because you will mourn and weep how terrible for you when all people speak well of you their ancestors did the same thing to the false prophets do you see the radical reversal We may be tempted to ask, what is wrong with these things, being well-fed, highly thought of? But that's not a question. That's not a question that Jesus is entertaining in the text. Instead, he's reminding us that social and economic securities can blind us to certain realities and make us deaf to others, making us unable to respond to the ethical demands of the kingdom of God, making us forget that a radical reversal is always at work. So that we don't chase the mountaintops for the mountaintop's sake. The radical reversal assures us that the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, all those who count for nothing in this world count very much in the kingdom of God. The future holds great promise for them in a society that does not want to make a promise or keep a promise to them. That's why Jesus would say things like this in Luke chapter 13, verse 30. Look, those who are last will be what? And those who are first will be what? That's the reversal of things. Live in that, beloved. You don't have to jockey for position. You don't have to claw and climb and tear people down to get to the top. You don't have to chase that smoke and then have all the smoke come at you. just have to trust the way of Jesus and follow. That's why Jesus even spoke of the radical reversal when comforting his disciples before the crucifixion. You remember what he said? 
In John chapter, tw- John chapter 16, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. He's talking about when Christ is on the cross, they're going to weep. But the world is going to say, finally, we killed the man. We killed the man who was trying to take our power away. That's what the political and religious leaders would say. You with me on that? We killed the man who was threatening subversion of the Roman Empire. You remember that? We killed the man who was telling all the lawbreakers that God would welcome them into the, into the places and purposes and presence of God. Y'all remember that? We killed the man. The disciples thought he was dead. Y'all remember that? Palm Sunday. Holy Thursday. They didn't know Sunday was coming. So Jesus said, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to what? To joy. And then Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you can have shalom, the joy of God's purposes worked out in your life. Come on now, everybody say the joy of God's purposes. purposes. He said, I told you this so that in me you can have peace. But what did he say in 33? Because in this world, you are going to have what? Trouble. Jesus is not willing to put lipstick on that pig. He is telling us we will live in a state of tension. But that tension is going to be resolved by the hopeful possibilities of the radical reversal that has taken place in my life. Because what did he say in this world? You will have trouble, but you can be of courage because guess what I have done, y'all, he's saying. And he said, y'all, he said, y'all, the disciples. That's how they taught in Aramaic, Koine Greek. That's how, that's how it translates. He said, I've overcome what? I've overcome the world. And so will you. I've conquered the world. The world will victimize you and you will feel the victimization. But you don't have to live in your victimization. You can be liberated because you are our conqueror. You do not have to deny the truth of the world like our society likes to do. You can tell the truth and you can own the story and you can live into the new one because a radical reversal has taken place. You want to know why society doesn't like the truth? There's a hundred reasons why society doesn't like the truth, especially of our nation's history. Because it will show that a radical reversal is necessary. You think the people of Rome like the truth of their story? You think the people of Israel like to be reminded of the truth of their story? But if they weren't reminded of the truth of their story, they would not see the possibilities of radical reversal. They would not see the hope break through. They would not see the light shine through the darkness. They would not see why liberation is necessary. That's why Paul would carry on this message of radical reversal when he said in his letter in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, for sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over the reign of sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, listen, be strong and immovable. Everybody say strong and immovable. You know what? That requires an attitude. It requires an attitude. An attitude committed to radical reversal. An attitude committed to the belief of the promises of God. It is an attitude. God wants you to have an attitude. Your parents may not want you to, but God does. But an attitude of hope. An attitude of possibilities. 
He says, be strong and immovable. And listen to what he says. He says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know, this is my favorite line, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Come on. I'll say it again. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Raising your kids to know the Lord, that will not be useless no matter what your kids do. Loving your spouse and loving your partners for the Lord will not come useless no matter what you do. Nothing you do will be useless for the Lord. That money you gave to that person in need will not be useless in the Lord's economy. That time you gave to that person that you tried to avoid will not be useless. Learning to pray for your enemies and love your enemies will not be useless. Choosing yes over a no that you really wanted will not be useless. Now, all of it may feel useless at times. But in God's economy, it will not be useless. That's the text. Nothing we ever do in Jesus' name will be useless, even if the facts on the ground seem to say otherwise. Even if the haters are hating or the enemy is trying to shake you. And the whole Isaiah 61 text points to this radical reversal that Yahweh wants to perform in our lives. And beloved, it is a call away from maintaining society status quo and for settling as things are. Yahweh is giving us a divine assignment. And it begins with you and me living out our individual divine assignments within. Everybody say within. Within within the community of God's people. God isn't trying to create heroes. So you don't have to be one. God is trying to build a community of people who take seriously the possibility that the way things are are not the way things will be and therefore are not the way things should be. You with me on that? That the way things are are not the way things will be and therefore should not be the way things currently are. That's the conviction of Christian faith. And so Isaiah closes out and says, they will, those oaks, those people who take this seriously, who will be oaks of justice, of righteousness, who will be immovable, who will be unshakable, they will. Join God in the rebuilding of the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will repair ruined cities and the devastations on many generations. Say it with me. Past. I'll say this for the millionth time because it seems like we're going to forget it if we aren't reminded. What happens in the past is still shaping the present no matter how past it has been. And the work of people in the present is to do the work of rebuilding, repairing, and restoring in the present what has been disrupted by what has happened in generations past. It is biblical. Are you with me? This is a text about life-transforming power that only the king of heaven and earth can bring. And all those who live in the kingdom of this king will join them in making this text a lived experience. Believe it to be yours. So where do you need a radical reversal in your life? 
And have you settled into it? Or will you believe in the instead? Do you believe that Christ is the yes and amen? Can you discern the difference between your wants and needs and believe that Yahweh is in the work of rebuilding, restoring, and repairing what has been destroyed, degraded, and devastated? But then do you believe that you too are to participate in Yahweh's work of rebuilding, restoring, and repairing what has been destroyed, degraded, and devastated. Because a church is not plopped down into the city of Williamsburg at 200 John Tyler Lane just to have spiritual pep rallies every Sunday so we can feel better about ourselves. We have the Christ. Say, I have the Christ. You have the Christ. You are death proof. You believe that? You believe that? We have resurrection. We know the world's going to be filled with trouble. But we know that we can have courage. We know that we can be more than conquerors. Because we have the Christ. Do you believe in the possibilities of a radical reversal? Or do you believe that you've got to somehow make it all work for yourself? On your own. Do you believe that rebuilding and restoring and repairing is possible? Rebuild, restore, repair. These are the words that this church has believed since its inception. This church has been about joining God in that work. And we have seen the impact of that work, not just in our individual lives, but in the lives of our city. Do we believe that it is possible that we are moving into a next season? A next season of rebuilding and repairing and restoring what has been broken. The world is not the same as it was pre-COVID. Met with a man for lunch just this last week whose mama died during COVID, whose dad had passed, who was doing the best he could to do the work of rebuilding, repairing, and restoring, and trying to figure out where God is at work to reverse the sorrow and the sadness. And lo and behold, he was starting to find some joy. Next week, I'm going to introduce you to three brothers who are friends of mine, and they're becoming dear friends. Two of them are sitting in this room, Marty and Tony, a guy named Ray. They started an organization called Faith Walkers because they experienced the rebuilding and restoring and repairing of God of their lives, even while in prison, and saw that God was doing the same work to those who were right next to them and then left that place by a miracle of God to come out and start a movement where radical reversal is possible, where liberation can be found. I'm going to introduce you to that story next week. You don't want to miss. <laughs> you, know, you ain't going to want to miss that. 
because you need to see what it looks like in all ways. But it would be easy to think, well, that just happens to them, whoever the them is. But what about you? Where have you seen God do the work of reversal? Liberation from that sin in your life. Liberation from that sorrow. Liberation from believing that the way it was was how it was always going to be. Renewal. Restoration. Repair. Every time we come to the table of the Lord, we're reminded of what is possible. We're reminded that reparation, restoration, and rebuilding is possible. We're reminded that it has become possible and we play a role in its possibilities as a church, as a community. Beloved, receive the hope of Isaiah. Receive the words of Jesus. Believe it. Say believe it. Believe it. Because this is an attitude. This is a disposition of the soul to press in. And when you're discouraged... Go to the brother and sister who is with you and let them remind you of the promises we've received. That we come to the table every week to be reminded that when God makes the promise, God keeps it. That even if there is death, there is always life because Sunday is always coming. Resurrection has happened and is happening because Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.